electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Coming off the S&P's best gain since late November, futures point to some further gains today as the Reddit rally fades. Attention turns to earnings, stimulus, and more reassuring COVID trends. VIX below 28. Our roadmap begins with the retail mania reversal. Shares of GameStop, AMC, and Silver falling sharply ahead of the open. Plus, as the speculative trading frenzy eases U.S. stocks, well, they're set to rally at the open, extending gains for what would be a second straight day. And so-called productive talks at the White House. But can Senate Republicans and President Biden close what is still a trillion-dollar gap in what they want for stimulus? Carl. All right, guys, uh, let's get to it, Jim. We mentioned uh, some of the Reddit trades down in the pre-market, taking out uh, some lows from the middle of last week. But also VIX below 28 and oil above 55 for the first time in a year. Yeah, this is great news for the VIX. We needed that to start going down while the market went up. That's more uh, normal. Uh, it's interesting that oil going up, even though first world demand is going down, I'm sure we'll talk about Exxon, the GameStop issue, uh, my nephew and head writer and only writer, Cliff Mason, came up with what I thought was by far the best analysis, was a series of things they could have done when they had a higher stock price. They could still do it, but including reinventing the company, perhaps becoming more of a, uh, an exchange place like StockX for sneakers, uh, you know, maybe even being a gaming palace, uh, buying David and my old friend Zynga. They haven't done that. They've been mum. Uh, but David, I will tell you one thing about GameStop. It's been missing the whole time. They are incredibly nice. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, anybody who's watched for any length of time understands what is really meant by that statement, Jim. But you've been talking about this possibility of them having sold stock to raise a good amount of money to perhaps, as you say, redirect the strategy of the company. They haven't done it yet. We'll see. But Jim, we've been talking about this now for more than a week. Let's call it roughly a week. Um, there has been little doubt as to where this stock, I think, would eventually end up. The only question was how long it would take to get there. Right. And I think, David, one of the critical aspects that you talk about better than anyone on air was that there was actually a cost to be able to stay short. That had a lot more to do with the ability of the hedge funds to have staying power versus a company that may be in more trouble. And, David, you know the actual toll on borrowing shares was very high here. Well, not to mention, of course, the unlimited downside you have from shorting a stock, which is something we can come back to and probably should occasionally to remind people. It's one thing when you buy, you know, 10 shares of a $100 stock, you know you could lose a thousand bucks. But if you short 10 shares of a $100 stock, well, it's still unlimited, isn't it? When it goes to 200, yeah, you're down a thousand. When it goes to 300, 400, 500, that, of course, was the case with Melvin Capital, which we pointed out many times a very rigorous hedge fund when it came to analysis 
but perhaps not so much in terms of at least understanding the risk they were taking on by having so much of the float short and the other copycat trades that had taken place in the market, Jim, as well, with shorting GameStop. They're not here potentially to benefit right, right. from this fall. A number of other hedge funds may be, Jim, in terms of the short side, but we also pointed out that when the shorts sort of dried up is when this perhaps would become more of a concern for those who had decided to buy it with such fervor. Right. And Carl, one of the things that I think people have to get away from is the idea, okay, which GameStop, what's the next one? Well, is it, say, AMC? No, because Adam Aaron, the CEO, he's announced that he has an at-the-money offering. Is it American Airlines? No, they took advantage of this and they issued stock. Is it Bed Bath Mm -hmm. & Beyond? No, Mark Tritton's got to turn around. And and, and so his is not (laughs) likely. Is it some of these stocks like a Virgin, you know, a SPAC? Well, you know, Churchill, four, these things, they're not short squeezes. That's just excitement. But the idea that you could find a GameStop, I've been looking and looking and looking for the next GameStop, something that people could run with. It's hard, Carl. I can't find one. Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. Goldman's got a great note out this morning from Jeff Curry talking about why it's basically near impossible for uh, Reddit traders to corner, say, the silver market the way they did back on Silver Thursday. We'll get to that a little bit later. I do want to get you, Jim, because we do have some M&A today. Uber is buying Drizzly uh, for $1.1 billion in stock and cash. The leading on-demand alcohol marketplace in the U.S. will eventually be integrated with Uber Eats. And we hope to talk to Dara Kasrashahi in the next few minutes. Jim, we know what's happened to at-home spirits consumption in the past year. And I guess this is a comment that that's not going to change anytime soon. This is so needed. Uh, obviously, I, I own two restaurants. One's a bar, uh, Bar San Miguel. We are, uh, I, the word is mothballed, and hopefully it'll sank out a mile. Why is this so important? Our money's made on alcohol. It's not made on food. And the way you'll be able to make money at a store or a restaurant in New York City or many other places is that you've got to get people in to buy the taco and then have them drink. Well, obviously, we're restricted to having only 25% capacity. So if you have Drizzly, you'll be able to have a much better way to send uh, liquor with the package. Now, will there be state and local uh, rules? We'll be talking to Dara. There are absolutely issues. But I will point this out. There was such a thing called Cuomo fries. That's what you were supposed to do in New York. Order fries and you can get the liquor. Uh, And did we do that? (laughs) We did what was ever legal. But without liquor, Carl... Frankly, we lose money on every delivery because the delivery charge itself uh, wipes out most of our profit. Uh, We'll talk to Dara and uh, Corey about that. uh, Yeah, that's coming up, I think, in in a few minutes, guys. Um, You know, more broadly, Jim, uh, we do have uh, J.P. Morgan had a chart out yesterday looking at decent uptick in open table seated diners in states like California and Texas. And certainly the governor hopes to have indoor dining in New York City come back around Valentine's Day. Well, you know, you have to use the Japanese model. It's not talked about enough. We're very provincial about this. Uh, The way you measure whether your restaurant has too much COVID, is you measure the carbon dioxide level. They're very similar. So we need carbon dioxide measure, uh, monitors. They're not that expensive. We've been trying to get a bunch of them for our places to be able to measure the aerosol load. I want you to consider COVID to be very similar to secondhand smoke. If, if there's a table in the back and it, people are smoking, you're going to get it forward. If that's the case, then you will be exposed to COVID. Unless we figure out airflow, which is cheaply ventilation, then we're not really doing anyone a favor here. Now, it is scientific. Science had become kind of a, 
a rudiment, it's time to put it back in force because I know I would not go to a restaurant if there were not proper airflow, even if there were 25%. And I own restaurants, so I may be my own worst enemy, but I like to be prudent. The goal is to not put people to work. The goal is to make people safe. It is not safe if there's improper ventilation. And people who don't believe that do not believe in science. Um, that said, Jim, we are at a, a, a point here at least where I think I'm starting to sense from market participants the hope that we really have turned the corner when it comes to the virus. Now, we all know about the variants that are out there that are scary, to say the least. Uh, but we also know that hospitalizations and new case counts continue their decline, and we hope that deaths will soon follow. You know, you do wonder about that reopening trade coming back uh, and being sort of more to the fore yet again in terms of the minds of investors. Well, look, I have Chipotle on tonight. Maybe they can tell us they've got both indoors and outdoors, and they've been quite an extraordinary performer during this period, David. Uh, yes, I mean, yesterday I had Mark Casper on. I mean, he's really the king of the PCR, thermo, uh, thermoscientific, and we're making unbelievable strides. Dr. Gottlieb on this morning talking about antigen tests. We'll be doing at-home antigen. All these things show that there is more of an effort uh, by public and private. What David Tepper is doing with uh, Darius Jamtech in North Carolina from uh, Darius earlier on for Honeywell. So I think it is coalescing. We want to be careful and we want to be able to make it so that we rely, something we haven't done in this country, David, rely on the success of other models around the world of which Japan has been at the forerunner of this Taiwan second. It's time to become less uh, xenophobic, less jingoistic, and more scientific, David. And that will determine whether we open the restaurants effectively. Yeah. Well, as David uh, implies, we've got U.S. cases down week on week for 21 consecutive days. And at this point, we have more Americans who've been vaccinated than have actually had COVID, a milestone that we hit yesterday. We'll take a break here. Plenty to get to. A lot of earnings, UPS, uh, uh, Pfizer and some others. And of course, we'll talk to Dara Kazmashahi and Corey Rellis of uh, Uber and Drizzly on that billion dollar deal when Squawk in the Street comes back. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Moments ago, Uber announcing an agreement to buy Drizzly, a Boston-based alcohol delivery startup, for $1.1 billion in cash and stock. Joining us exclusively this morning, uh, Uber's Zara Krushvashahi and the co-founder and CEO of Drizzly, Corey Rellis. Gentlemen, congratulations. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, Dara, you point out in the release, uh, you've added groceries, you've added prescriptions, and now alcohol. Uh, talk to us about the deal and why now? Well, for us, as you know, Uber Eats has been an incredibly successful part of our platform before the COVID uh, uh, hit us, the virus hit us. But during this time, uh, our delivery business has been growing at extraordinary rates. Uh, and we essentially want to double down. We doubled down initially on grocery. 
Uh, and now we're doubling down on the delivery of alcohol. Drizzly is by far the leader in the space. They have grown very quickly, but they've grown the right way. And we think bringing Drizzly together with Uber allows Drizzly to essentially continue to extend its lead as we put Drizzly in front of the incredible Uber audience. So we think it's a win-win. It's a win for Uber because the, the Uber audience gets access to delivery of even more things to their doorstep instantly. And it's a win for Drizzly as well because their audience expands immediately overnight in a very, very big way. Now, Corey, we were talking about what's happened to in-home spirit consumption over the past year as we've seen this enormous wallet shift away from, uh, from eating out, drinking out. Um, can you just give us a sense of what gross bookings have been like for the last year? Well, it's been an extraordinary year. I mean, COVID obviously fueled a, a level of awareness for the consumer side that didn't exist, and the industry followed suit as well. So between that, we had over 330% growth last year, and we did it profitably, as Dara said. Uh, and that was fueled by building the infrastructure over the last eight years, waiting for this industry, trying to build this industry uh, to catch up to many other categories that are coming online, online at a much faster rate. So we actually think it's still a very nascent in what it can become. Uh, but between the combination of Uber and Drizzly's category expertise, we actually are incredibly excited about the acceleration of the coming years. Darius, Jim Craver, I got to thank you as a restaurant and bar owner. You know we can't make it without alcohol, and you know that there are different restrictions in different cities. Uh, we were selling alcohol. If you order a margarita, we'll deliver it to you. We kind of, you know, obviously our restaurant was shut down like everybody else. But what I want to know is can you uh, fur through th this incredible nest of local regulations? Because we've been afraid historically to sell liquor to people who are underage, to people who are overserved. We don't want that liability. At the same time, we want to do priority delivery that you introduce that could give us a little bit extra vig, so to speak, because we need the alcohol to stay alive. Can you help me on some of these questions? Yeah, absolutely, Jim. So I think one of the unique histories of Uber is that we have been locally regulated since we were born, essentially, as a company. So we're very familiar with and comfortable with the myriad of local regulations uh, all over the world, not just in the U.S., but uh, outside the U.S. as well. So we've been comfortable within a regulatory environment and building systems that can operate at scale, but also can be customized so that we are following local, local regulations to the letter, to the T. Uh, and what impressed us with Drizzly as well is that the Drizzly founders, the, the team, from the very beginning wanted to innovate, but wanted to innovate in the right way. And they have worked with local regulators and they've really built Drizzly the right way so that we can now be confident going to merchants, whether they're alcohol merchants or restaurant merchants, and letting them know that we have a safe and effective way for you to sell alcohol, which is incredibly high uh, margin, to an expanded audience. We check ID. We're using the same technology, for example, to that checks to see if drivers have their masks on to essentially go out and identify uh, the buyer of alcohol and make sure that that buyer is of age. So I think we built an ecosystem that can scale and we, we built an ecosystem that can, that, that can scale the right way safely. Oh, well, that's terrific. That's what you need to hear. Corey, congratulations on the deal. One of the things that I'm concerned about is what can be in the package? We currently use a competitor of yours. Why? Because we were a caviar shop and then they got bought by DoorDash. Uh, what is the mode here? Can you give me more assurance if I use the Drizzly uh, Uber combination than if I use the other guy? 
Because you know what we care about? We care about being put out of business. We're not going to be put out of business by customers. We're going to be put out of business by regulators. Can you give us some assurance that if we use Uber, it may be better than using the other guy? Well, I hear you, Jim, and, and it's something we'll definitely uh, consider on the on-premise side. To, to go back to Drizzly's founding, we've largely focused on the off-premise side. So we're talking about liquor stores and grocery stores and chains, uh, and that's really where we focus on the consumer experience to date. The on-premise side is pretty recent, and I think COVID actually opened up regulation in a way where this becomes more of an ingrained consumer behavior. I think there's a lot of validity to it, and that's absolutely something between our technology and category expertise and Uber's brand awareness and the food scale that they have Putting those two together is absolutely something uh, we should think about in the future. And to, to your point on competition, I think it all it all rely on the consumer experience and what we need to build going forward. Uh, Mr. Ellis, it's David Faber. I would assume getting liquor licenses is one gating issue here. How many do you have and how many states and how many are you seeking right now? Well, it's an easy answer for us. We have zero liquor licenses, and that's because we were founded on the idea that we're a technology provider to the three tiers of alcohol and respecting the intent and the regulation that has been in place for many, many years. That allows us to work across the three tiers uh, and specifically build technology for retailers to bring their shelves online, allow consumers to shop across them, and receive the benefits of having a larger selection and price transparency that you could get uh, relative to shopping at one store. It also allows us to think a little bit bigger about how we bring brands closer to consumers, their incredible storytelling, and really leveraging that to grow the consumer awareness of the space. And also, it's a really social category. It's a lot of fun. So the more we can bring consumers and brands closer together in a regulatory compliant way, which is how we're built, uh, I think that's going to be the key to unlocking the next level of growth. Okay, uh, understand it a bit better now. Um, you're going to be taking over 90% of the consideration in Uber stock. Uh, why did you choose to sell the company at this point in your growth cycle, and why are you confident taking Uber stock as largely most of the consideration? Well, it was an interesting time for us. I mean, we're obviously doing very well right now, both in growth rate and profitability and balance sheet. When we thought about the Drizzly vision, uh, we thought a lot about how we accelerate it past where we are today. It's a nascent category, less than 2% online uh, for e-commerce sales for this particular category prior to COVID, maybe 4% today. There's nothing structurally holding us back from being 15 or 20%. We brought technology to meet the regulation. Now with Uber's scale uh, and their technology prowess and their logistics, you put those two together, I think it becomes very powerful. We need to execute. But it, given that proposition and given what we know we can build going forward with a combination of the two, uh, we absolutely want to stock because we're believers in the story and we're believers in the value we're going to create towards that shared vision of receiving everything within a couple of hours uh, under the Uber platform. Hey, Dara, finally, I got, I got a twofer for you to close us out. Uh, the one is um, uh, we've been talking about vaccination trends and the economy potentially loosening up. Are you seeing that on the ride side? And then lastly, uh, people wonder, with Drizzly, can, can pot delivery be that far behind, theoretically? So I think as far as the opening up of the markets, we're, we're not seeing material signs of opening up. Uh, as you know, the, this crisis has continued much longer than most thought. The great thing about our position as Uber is that we're essentially hedged. Uh, as cities stay closed, and believe me, we don't want cities to stay closed, our delivery business gets bigger and bigger. We continue to acquire customers uh, and, and kind of take advantage of the acceleration of delivery of all things to your home. And when markets open up, and they will open up, 
uh, our mobility business is going to take off like a rocket ship and our mobility business is the real profit generator of the business. So we're in a unique circumstance. Uh, while I am hugely rooting kind of societally for uh, things to open up, we can actually thrive either way. And I think when you step back and think about the vision of Uber, you know, if Amazon owns the next day, Uber can own the next hour. Any place you want to go, anything you want to get within the next hour, if you want it, that instant gratification, Uber can be there for you. And that's a unique position uh, uh, in, in the marketplace. And finally, on cannabis, is that could that be next? Uh, I think it certainly could. Um, I think that we're waiting for federal legislation to fall into uh, a place where we would feel comfortable uh, engaging in cannabis. So for now, we've got alcohol. Uh, it's been a business that's been around a long time. We're very comfortable with the regulatory field, and we're going to focus there. Never say never with cannabis, but it's certainly not tomorrow for Uber. Guys, I really appreciate the time. Uh, fascinating deal. It's good to see you both. We'll hope to see you soon. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having me. Uh, on Uber and Drizzly today. We'll get to some earnings, uh, Pfizer and, uh, and UPS, Hog, and some others ahead of Amazon and Alphabet tonight. Futures are green. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Let's get to a mad dash as we count you down to an opening bell. Jim, a lot of earnings this morning. I want to talk a bit about ExxonMobil when we get uh, to the opening bell there. Very important conference call for that company. But UPS, another that reported earnings, and I know a focus for you on your mad dash. Yes, I have Carol Tomei on tonight. She's a terrific CEO of UPS. She used to be the incredibly formidable CFO of Home Depot. Uh, people doubted her, David. They even talked about the idea that there were some issues uh, with the online delivery and with customers, they were completely proven to be untrue. As a matter of fact, the numbers here are extraordinary. International's uh, segment package up 29 percent, revenue up 26 percent, domestic average daily volume up 8.9. The numbers were well, well ahead of expectations. Extraordinary. They're very much in control of their own destiny. The fact that it's only up seven represents the idea that how much can it really go up uh, on one day. But I would tell you, David, that domestic yields were up more than costs. The company is a new company. And there were so many people who were betting against Carol Tomei. Sometimes you have to say to yourself, you know what? There are people who are such good operators, David, that they can execute. Carol Tomei is an excellent operator, and that shows why this company had such great numbers. And a fantastic team, of course. We all know UPS it is, it operates as a team, and boy, did they ever come through for the holiday season. Uh, yeah, well, the stock has certainly shown that, of course. 12 months, 51% going to be adding to that this morning. Uh, and Carl, of course, as we get ready for that opening bell, we are keeping an eye on a number of earnings. Uh, Alibaba, as I mentioned, ExxonMobil. We'll get to those in just a moment. Yeah, as we get the opening bell here uh, and uh, look at how Brett fills in on the S&P. Uh, we're going to start at 37.73. Jim, uh, Pfizer did raise their guide. Uh, sees 310 to 320, prior 3 to 310, and estimates 15 billion in 2021 uh, COVID vaccine sales. 
Yeah, so then people would say, well, why isn't Pfizer up more? Well, this is the problem uh, we had last night when I was speaking to uh, Thermo Fisher, Mark Casper. He was unwilling to be able to say, look, the incredible numbers we've had, they're the, key, the gold standard PCR maker and vaccine maker, including mRNA, the, the, uh, the technology. He was reluctant to put up a big number, say, listen, we're going to be able to duplicate that. The reason why Pfizer can have such a big number and people aren't buying it, aside from the fact that they did have a, a miss in some lines, is that you really can't decide. I what David Faber was saying earlier. How long is this going to last? David, when J&J comes up with something that could be a mil, you know, 100 million, I don't know, 500 million, we don't know how much they have, and it's one shot, then what it does is make it so that, David, it's very hard to predict how much Pfizer can make going forward. And I think that's why people are looking at the stock and saying they're scratching their heads, but they shouldn't. That stock represents the actual issue of a company that is really hostage to the pandemic growing. Yeah, I guess so. But let's not forget they have a very broad product portfolio, don't they, Jim, that is not dependent at all yeah, they do. Uh, on uh, the progress. They do. Yeah. But, David, they're not, they're not J&J, and they're not Eli Lilly. And, you know, look, I, I like them, and I think they do a terrific job. But, again, David, we're really stuck with a company that's been doing a lot of financial engineering. And, engineering, and who knows better than you? about what Pfizer was trying to do at one growth point when they really were stymied about what to do next. You are correct. Well, they certainly looked at doing a, an inversion, of course, remember, for quite some time, any number of different deals. Then they did the Mylan transaction. Uh, and, and you're right, uh, until running into sort of the positive, it's one positive, I guess, from the virus uh, uh, as a result of their work on the vaccine, they've, they've sort of suffered through a number of different things. Um, speaking of suffering, guys, I did yes. want to, as we watch AMC shares and GameStop shares uh, declining sharply in these first moments of trading, I did want to get to ExxonMobil because while we certainly will not forget the last week in terms of what it's meant for the market and these names, I do think uh, when we look back, um, we'll probably look back at the announcements from the likes of GM and what we expect this morning, at least in this conference call that's just beginning from ExxonMobil as perhaps more momentous uh, and more important. Uh, and here I'm talking, of course, about really what are um, the development of, of a new industry or one that's just in its early stages, namely uh, EV, uh, the changes that are being wrought in auto manufacturing uh, and in those who supply the fuel for those automobiles. And there you get to ExxonMobil, which did report earnings this morning. It was a large loss. A lot of that is write downs that we've talked about in the past. But I want to focus people on Darren Woods, the company CEO this morning, uh, because it's an important conference call uh, that he will be leading. Uh, and it's sort of a different ExxonMobil in some ways. Um, there's going to be, as you take a look at the loss and the CapEx spending that they did where they are, of course, CapEx continues to be a focus for the large investors who are in there. D.E. Shaw didn't nominate directors, but we do have a new director today. His name, as you see at the end there, is Juan Arfin. He was formerly uh, led Patronus. So you've got somebody with energy experience coming on there. You've got the creation of these low carbon solutions businesses and the $3 billion they'll be investing. But even more importantly on this call, it's my understanding that Mr. Woods is sort of going to try to send out a message of a level of accountability and being more shareholder friendly to a certain extent, more transparency in a way. Um, obviously, they will talk about the dividend, which their remaining remain sacrosanct, at least at this point, uh, debt payments, investments, 
operating expenses, capex, things of that nature as well. But Jim, you know this company. I mean, Rex Tillerson, yes. Lee Raymond, these guys were like emperors, you know, and it was like the Kremlin over there. You didn't really know what was going on. It's a different Exxon Mobil. We'll see if this new board member makes a difference, but there will be likely another significant board member coming. And they did give note to this in their press release as well, saying that in the near term, they continue to look at potential directors. Uh, and in the near term, they expect to have more news on that front. Fascinating to watch the transition here. Take a look. That's actually what they said. Discussions with other director candidates, a range of skill sets for a potential addition to its board. And uh, they went on to say that that's something that we'll ex uh, they expect to take in the near term, Jim. So I did want to focus people on ExxonMobil. Yes, GameStop, incredible. But that announcement right. from GM last week, the moves ExxonMobil's making, these are things we may remember for many years to come. Yes, David, look, uh, first time, we're talking about Exxon first loss in 40 years. The old days, what I would do is I would turn to the sheet uh, that they put out and talk about production growth. And production growth was okay. Uh, oil liquid, liquids up 2.3 uh, million versus 2.4. That's not bad uh, uh, last year. Uh, natural gas a little disappointing. But what's amazing, David, is what else do they put out in this release? That they're meeting generous methane reductions. They're talking about flaring and cutting flaring down. David, those are not the things you put in a release during a uh, Trump administration. But when you're trying to be able to get people to say, you know what, is Exxon an ESG company? Are they working on carbon capture? What it says is, hey, maybe this is a new Exxon. Is it a new Exxon? It's got, look, any stripes can change. But boy, did you, were you ever right? Exxon was always the company, David, that had the 50-year plan. It's Mike Worth at Chevron that has the plan to be able to get it so that, that uh, really, that oil uh, is a bridge fuel. But you mentioned Mary Barra yesterday, uh, today, David. I, I spent some time talking with Mary. You know, David, GM is not waiting. They're not going for the 2035 bridge fuel. Obviously, Tesla isn't. So the, there's a race against time and a race against ESG. They might be able to win some ESG by talking about methane flare, but they're still flaring a lot. Can they race against time? David, the love and the amount of money that this market is willing to give to EV, David, tells me the clock is ticking even for Exxon. Yeah. Uh, and we know, of course, when it comes to EV, that has, Carl, been another area of uh, great uh, fervor for many investors, including uh, the people that we were, well, that Jim refers to as the merry men or the, the, the I don't call them retail <laughs> as much, the active traders that are out there these days uh, who are taken with the prospects of so many of these companies that are going to potentially participate in this new and very much growing part of our economy. Uh, whether it's the battery makers or the car makers themselves or so many of the different components that go into it. And, man, the SPAC thing, Carl, just continues apace. I'm sure you've seen some of the announcements this morning. <laughs> yeah, there's some familiar names uh, on the SPAC front today, uh, which I think we'll get to in a minute. Really quick, guys, we got a halt on GME, um, so we're back to volatility, uh, pauses in trading there. On the EV front, uh, Jim, you know, David mentions uh, Exxon, certainly huge news. I saw yesterday Adam Jonas and Morgan Stanley took Tesla to 880. Uh, you got the Ford-Google partnership. Maybe we'll hear more about that when Alphabet reports tonight. And then NXPI, I know you would have mentioned it otherwise, but um, huge tailwinds in both mobile and auto. 
It was going to be my stock trading. You front me, Carl. NXPI is one of the stocks I've been recommending as to be able to play the, the incredible vast chip shortage. NXPI, very linked because of the acquisition of Freescale, very linked to auto. Auto's coming back. I have Norfolk Southern on tonight. Auto's coming back there again, too. NXPI had been an also ran, but David, one of the reasons why it was, as you know, was it got caught up in some incredible takeover chatter that made people feel like it was done. Obviously, David, NXPI was never done. They just kept engineering and engineering. They're looking like the number two player now uh, in, when it comes to Internet of Things, to Skyworks Solutions. Congratulations to that management team. Look at that stock. Isn't that even better than owning some, uh, I don't know, let's say a, a company that sells uh, 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 hard uh, Xboxes? <laughs> or the games that go in them. You know, it is funny. Of course, you say caught, caught up in takeover chatter. Of course, they actually were supposed to be acquired by Qualcomm. Qualcomm probably regrets the fact that Chinese regulators would not give them the go-ahead, and they waited and waited, and they finally pulled the plug after quite some time. And you may recall, of course, in the long run-up to that, my following it closely, I think it was 127.50 was the final price that they'd agreed to. So it does give you some sense, Jim, that it is not in the best interest of shareholders for the boards to sometimes decide to sell the company. Uh, yes, it did trade well below 127.50 NXPI for quite some time. But as you point out, it's $180 stock roughly right now, uh, and its fortunes seem to be quite, uh, quite strong. Guys, I did as we take well, a look at David, AMC was- shares, which were also in significant decline. Oh, yeah, go ahead, Jim. Sorry. That. Well, yeah. it, it, there was a fellow by the name of Rick Clemmer that ran NXPI, and I became close to him, a uh, big position from my travel trust. And what he was saying is, listen, we're, we're thinking that autos are going to boom. And, David, one of the things that he did was he didn't say cell phone. They do have cell phone. They do a near-field communication that allows you to be able to use a touchless when you'll be able to buy something on your cell phone. But he just said, you know what, autos are going to come back, and we're going to own autos. You know what, David? No one believed him. But you're looking at a chart of a man who said, you know what, industrial semis like Texas Instruments, like analog devices, mm-hmm. are the future. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? You've got a Skyworks saying that it's going to be 5G in other parts, but IoT is good. It all worked, David, and I salute these semiconductor companies who did not take their cue from Intel. They took their cue from worldwide business trends. So smart. It's not like the old days. These are not just a bunch of commodities in the SMH. They're very good companies. Right. Yep. Uh, and again, Carl, we're keeping a close eye on shares at GameStop and AMC. Uh, two of which went up to extraordinary levels, almost wiped out a major hedge fund, certainly took significant uh, uh, losses from a number of funds, although the month perhaps was not quite as bad as many had feared it would be, broadly speaking, for the hedge fund community. But it, 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 it forced Melvin to raise, what, um, almost $3 billion in capital? It's forced Robinhood to raise over $3 billion in capital, all counted <laughs> from the same trades. Uh, and that was focused on GameStop. And we see it there now approaching... Yeah. Uh, approaching, you know, new recent lows. Um, But Carl, another area that we've been talking about on our show in terms of at least a focus that Jim had focused us on in both Reddit, Wall Street, Bets area, uh, Robinhood trading platform has been SPACs, particularly those that that do choose to acquire or merge with an EV company. But I did want to mention today, did you guys see we got a new SPAC from Wilbur Ross as we take a look at Robinhood restrictions as of Tuesday on some of those stocks and what happened there? Uh, Jim, did you see Wilbur Ross, 83 years old? He's launching a new SPAC. Um, Larry Kudlow's on the board, by the way. Uh, so, you know, they got that. They got, yeah. Um, uh, then you got Muhlenberg, Muhlenberg, the Boeing CEO. 
Yeah. Launching a SPAC. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Omar Ishraq, uh, uh, chairman of Intel, He's, uh, he's got his going. Sternlicht prices his latest JAWS offering. As you take a look at the CNBC SPAC 50, um, Aries does a very large offering, almost $800 million. That's a big one. And I could go on and on. I mean, they just hit my inbox literally every five minutes. There's another announcement, right. either a, a new deal, a planned deal, or they announce their transaction. But Jim, it just continues. We have two indexes now. We have one that tracks the SPACs after they price their own deal, but before they announce their merger candidate. And then we have an index that actually tracks them after they announce their merger candidate. But Jim, they won't let me do anything but take a look at GameStop back in the control room, I guess. Well, well look, I, I think the SPAC issue is going to become an issue. Right now, everyone's been making money off them. Uh, I tend to look at them as fantasy football, David. These are all fantasy players. Well, we know that Wilbur Ross, I mean, can he really deliver? Or is he, uh, is he golf? Uh, when we have uh, Dennis Bollenberg, is he going to turn out to be Tyree Kill? Or is he going to turn out to be someone who we should have cut in fantasy? In other words, it's all, at this point, a big name game. I know people are going to get excited about Dennis Bollenberg. He used to run Boeing. Wilbur Ross, a very well-connected guy. These are all terrific. But, David, at a certain point, business models will matter. And when that comes about, then you're going to talk about, well, do the rocket ones better or better than the EV ones, which might be better than the personality ones? Do I like it? It doesn't matter whether we like it. But what I don't like, David, is that when you see so many of these, you know where this does lead. When I say things like that, you know, David, people say, oh, old guy, whatever. But, you know, we know with. We don't want to get people hurt, for heaven's sake. I mean, if you bought GameStop at 300, how you, how you doing there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're not doing, you're not doing too well. No, you're not. Yeah, no, you're not doing too well. If, if, uh, if, if you owned it last week, uh, again, this is something we talked about. I know, and Jim, we do get a great deal of criticism. We, we take it in stride. Um, I guess we're dinosaurs, but we've, we've already recognized that. Um, but, you know, they had a good run, Carl, the dinosaurs. I mean, I think we sometimes think of them as failures, but they were around for hundreds and hundreds of millions of years. That's a lot longer than we've been around. They ruled so, the damn world. You know, I, don't take it, I don't take it that badly. Yeah. Davis right, Carl. Yeah, guys. Uh, GameStop, GameStop really 103, uh, taking out last Thursday's low of 112. Last Tuesday's low was 80, and last Monday's low was 61. Uh, so still a ways to go before it erases some of the crazy gains that it's had uh, over the past uh, few weeks. Take a look at the bond report this morning in Santelli's absence. We'll see how treasuries are faring. Uh, yields rising across the board. COVID relief package of co talks, of course, remain in focus after that meeting between GOP senators and the president last night. Over in Europe, uh, data yeah. shows the eurozone economy contracts seven-tenths in Q4 due to a new round of lockdowns. Uh, economists do expect a drop. They did expect a drop of 2.5. Uh, German GDP grew one-tenth. And we'll take a look at the dollar index as well, as we do see risk on across asset classes around the world. We're back in a minute.
Hollywood's jumping on the GameStop saga bandwagon. The Journal says Netflix is in talks with Zero Dark Thirty screenwriter Mark Bowl for a movie about the frenzy, while execs at MGM are planning to develop a forthcoming manuscript by Ben Mesrich about the saga titled The Anti-Social Network. Jim, the problem here is we don't know what the third act, uh, how it resolves. <laughs> No, we don't. And I know that there could be alternative endings. Uh, I do feel that uh, people like cop shows and they like hospital shows. They like fire shows. They like those movies. Can this be an intellectual take uh, uh, that make it so that people get excited? You know what? I, I think that there's a kind of a ideological rift in the country between rich and poor. They may get a kick out of it. Well, I want to watch it. I don't know. Maybe I'll be in it. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> David, we are in some wacky world. You know, we're so used to being boring. I guess we ought to take advantage when we're exciting, huh? I suppose. Uh, I don't it know. is. Um, yeah, it's yeah. been an interesting time. Um, I, listen, I still get a, I still occasionally get a check, Carl, from the from uh, Wall Street two or three. I forget which one it was. I think three. <laughs> so you know, if they want to make some movies, I'm all in. Great. Hopefully, we can uh, we can yeah. play our roles. Well, yeah. David, you um, had, yeah, such good, you had Holbrook. some very good roles in movies. Yes. Were you in margin? Yes. Were you well, in margin we call, David? I think I was. Yeah. Or arbitrage. I know. Um, but of course, the great one was you in Iron Man and you didn't get paid. So too bad. Well, I got a hat. You see, I thought it was going to be a failure. Everyone else made hundreds of thousands. I got a Stark Industries hat. I was so thrilled that I actually thanked the director. I may be one of the most ill-advised people when it comes to movies. So thank you for mentioning that complete fiasco. I always like to be brought down by my <laughs> colleagues. It's better than the people who hit me on Twitter who don't really know me that much. Carl, I, I, the, you know, the 1.5 million friends I have on Twitter, they were very valuable when I was sick last week. Many of them weighed in. Uh, in a good or a bad way? Bad, of course. I was part of a vast conspiracy to keep GameStop up or down. Yes. A vast conspiracy against the regular investor, a vast conspiracy, a, a, a conspiracy in favor of the short hedge funds. Here's the vast conspiracy that I'm in part of. The vast conspiracy to keep my wife happy because I am at home in Brooklyn. She's showering right now. I'm sure she likes that bit of information. <laughs> and I have made her life hell. So I've got to break that fast conspiracy in order to be able to deliver what I should be delivering on the show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, um, it's life oh, as we know it right be now, a little guys. Lighter. Uh, yeah. Trying to go remote uh, three ways here from three different locations. The delay, uh, hopefully it's something that we don't have to deal with as we get uh, more and more of the country vaccinated. We'll take a break here. By the way, best two-day gain for the S&P and the NASDAQ since basically Election Day. We're back in a moment. The economic reopening trade is definitely in play today. Disney's leading the Dow, uh, Amex and Visa not far behind on the S&P. Uh, top five gainers include both MGM and Live Nation. We'll see how this develops. Squawk on the streets back in a minute. Let's get to Jim and stop trading.
Not long ago, Nikesh Arora took over Palo Alto Networks. What was his first thing to do? He put millions to work buying his own stock. Why? Because he believes in himself. Should he have done? Absolutely. Today, the stock hits an all-time high. Why? This morning's Credit Suisse saying that they've got really the best uh, on-premises and cloud-native approach, meaning that if you're still stuck in the skyscraper, but you also want to be in the cloud, Palo Alto might be the call. I've liked CrowdStrike. I've liked Zscaler. I've liked Okta. But you know what? The winner here may be Palo Alto. Congratulations, Nikesh. For a transition that many people doubted he could make, and he's accomplished it. Well done. Uh, Jim, you're also going to have Amazon and Google Alphabet to kick around tonight. Expectations going into the print? Uh, I think that, uh, boy, these have run a lot. Alphabet at an all-time high. Amazon not that far. I, you know, Look, I obviously like a little more. Uh, a, a little more give. If, if Amazon, the numbers are all over the place. Obviously, that's, I think, one that people are going to say, well, hold it. Was that just the nesting trade? I don't think it was. Uh, I'm looking forward to speaking tonight, by the way, uh, to Carol Tomei, UPS, because I think she has a very good read on e-commerce and whether it's going away, whether it's staying. Norfolk Southern, much more, of course, uh, about general industrial trends. And then here's the man of the hour. Chipotle's pulled it off, Carl. They're making as much money uh, pre as post because they figured out technology. Brian Nichols, a genius. Well, all these three guests are, are very exciting. I live for the show. I live for what we do. I'm going to thank everyone, whether it be Todd Bone, executive producer, Red, Regina Gilgan, Heather Gaines, who's here with me. Uh, everyone's made me feel very at home. It's a family and no one like David and no one like Carl, because it's not easy doing this three way thing. And I really enjoy and love you guys. <laughs> Somehow we get Thank it done, you. and it's good every time, I got to say, Jim. Really quick, before you go. Thank you so um, much. You know, a fun, fun strat last night, their point was if you can get the VIX to settle down, it's now below 27, that's a sign some of the technical selling is over and stocks will sort of come to Jesus on the good COVID trends. That ostensibly is why the Disneys are leading today. You buy that? Yes, I do. Uh, as David was saying, and we were getting close to an opening trend, as you've been talking, Carl, that the disparity between the people who have uh, COVID and the people who are getting the shots matters tremendously. I think Disney is one of the most undervalued stocks there is. A and a lot of what's happening at Disney is a recognition that when they are able to open, you get $200. Uh, it, 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 and that's going to happen, Carl. I really do. Christian McCarthy, what a great CFO. Uh, well, what? That'd be a big, that'd be a big story. Jim, we'll see you tonight. Of course, a busy day on the earnings front. Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.